five-yard line. No. Henry. Henry breaking free. 20, 25, off to the races. They may not catch him. They won't catch him. Touchdown, Tennessee. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5, scooting in for the score. Touchdown! Yes, welcome in everyone. We might be a day late, but still sounding great. The full 10 yards crew back together to run through the action from week number six in the NFL. And of course, we, we also left it a day late because there was another double header of a Monday night football, which uh, I think we are probably in with everybody else in the UK and wishing that became a regular thing. Quite nice to get a 10 o'clock Monday evening game to enjoy. We'll get onto that in a minute. Firstly, let's welcome the boys in first and foremost and another reason we're actually recording tonight tim in his new house after a bit of house moving yesterday mate settling in well there buddy yeah well you, you can tell like the bit from behind me obviously this is in the youtube podcast but you can tell behind me what was set up first as soon as we moved in what was the, the shrine my man corner um and they say you can look forward to that on the on the betting podcast and the, and the quizzes so uh yeah i i, I was built for that just a, just a note on your monday night football actually though you, 10 o'clock whilst whilst 10 o'clock games um, are quite favourable for people in this country, obviously not so much in the US. It is, it is a bit of a dagger too if you want to get any sleep because it's a good bridge between that and Monday night football. So you just consistent football. So if you're, if you're planning to get any Monday night uh, sleep on Monday night, uh, it's probably not a good idea. But. No, very true, mate. Very true. But uh, obviously Thursday nights traditionally haven't been great. Although to be fair, this season they've actually provided a fair bit of entertainment. Lawrence, let's move on to yourself, mate. Welcome into the pod. How are you doing this evening, buddy? Well, I thought... We had, a, we had a poem the other week, so I, I need to recite a little bit of a song here from one of the great 80s bands, Johnny Hates Jazz. So here we go. So much for your promises. They died the day you let me go. Caught up in a web of lies, but it was just too late to know. I thought it was you who would stand by my side. And now you've given me, given me nothing but shattered dreams shattered dreams i have officially given up on the washington football team like a bullseye contestant i'm going to walk away with my rubber bully and i'm not going to tease myself with the thought of trying to own a speedboat which is a metaphor for my fandom i tell you what i'm going to take away some really great memories of watching a couple of live super bowl wins but after almost 30 years of shattered dreams putrid drafting, non-existent tackling, and the disease that is Daniel Snyder, I officially give up on the Washington football team. As of today, I now support the Baltimore Ravens. And, as Johnny, hates, and as Johnny Hates Jazz said it in one of his other songs, I wish that I could turn back the clock, but I can't. I wish you'd take that, that uh, Redskins flag down if, you, if you're changing allegiances. <laughs> The truth of the matter is, I will always support the Redskins. They no longer exist. So there we go. I thought, I thought, I thought that. that song was about Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. I thought it was a bit early to get a Cowboys jibe in. 
Never too early to get a Cowboys <laughs> we'll, we'll come on to your we'll come on to your change of allegiance in a minute because uh, you should never change allegiances. Just to start calling you Rob Grimwood. Yeah, never change allegiances. That's what sports are all about: the highs and the lows. You know, look at uh, look, look at the, at the Browns. Cowboys. Yeah, they're still crap. Yeah, let's move on. This is, this right is, then, this is miserable corner. This is this it's, is our little yeah. This is where we just drink and be sorry, have, have sorrow. It is indeed, mate. Let's um, let's continue that theme then, mate. Let's talk <laughs> Cowboys. We're going to start the pod this week, and there was a few guys that were in prime time. The lights were shining brightly on them, um, all pretty much games that were, were sort of national TV viewing. Um, and let's face it, fellas, a few so-called superstars for their teams didn't exactly light it up, did they? We'll start with um, with the Cowboys, Tim, and we'll talk about Zeke Elliott. I know Andy Dalton's going to get a lot of criticism. We could talk about the defence until the cows come home. Let's face it, the, the defence is just historically, shockingly bad. Um, you know, But let's talk about Zeke. He's, he's obviously somebody that um, has been you know, a phenomenally good player for the Cowboys over the last few years. Uh, but things really started to to sort of turn all around the contract negotiations. There was a lot of sort of toing and froing, and ultimately, since he got back on the field, um, hasn't necessarily repeated his his sort of pre um, new contract performance, if you like. And in this one, obviously, the Cowboys got off to a huge hole early doors with Zeke. You know, he's fumbling issues every turn, mate. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, like I mean, it's it's pretty much a copy and paste job every every week that we do this podcast. Uh, yeah, um, Zeke Elliott, um, he's, he's come out and said, obviously, the, the kind of loss was on him. He's got to do better, et cetera, et cetera. It's all right, same words, but you've got to put it on, you've got to put it on the field, haven't you? Um, obviously, now fumbled five times this year, which I think is three more times than any other running back uh, this season. And to to think coming into this season, he'd only fumbled the ball six times, and has never had uh, a season where he's lost more than he's had more than two fumbles. So, um, considering he's had five five through six weeks, um, yeah, something is. It's not quite right. No, you're right there, Sean. Ever since kind of he had that Las Vegas altercation where he got, kind of got caught up with the police, and then yeah, the season obviously where he got suspended for for a couple of games, uh, and then also the, the contract negotiations. He's he's not he's not been the, the Zeke Elliott that that come into the league and took the league by storm. Granted, he hasn't had the same O line, but that's that's a whole different matter. But I think him himself, uh, he's he's not been the Zeke of old, and it's amazing what kind of uh, the motivation I'm not that I'm questioning his motivation but he's, he's interesting in, in players throughout the NFL when they get their paydays when they get their big contracts just that it just seems to just nosedive for, for, for some of these players um, so yeah interesting to see how how he and, and the Cowboys uh, offense will bounce back from that but uh, it's, it's not looking great was it um, you mentioned there Sean obviously the big storyline coming into this one was obviously Dalton taking over from from Dak and was not uh, was not a great performance was it let's be honest uh, like Say a reoccurring theme of back-to-back plays with with fumbles, no matter who the who the player is that, that is doing it. Uh, another double-digit hole, three three touchdown plus more hole. Uh, I mean, how many times have we already said that this season? And we're only in week six. Um, obviously for Dalton coming in uh, O-line is a big hindrance but you know you, these are players that are paid um, quite handily to to overcome uh, those issues. Um, 
was it was a slow, was a, was a bit of a strange game uh, in the sense that it was a bit a bit of a slow burner. Obviously, defense is kind of jostling for position early on, uh, and then you know Kyler Murray and the, and the Cardinals kind of opened it up a little bit, and the Cowboys ugh, another poor performance by Daryl Worley, number twenty eight cornerback for for Dallas. My God, the Christian the Christian Kirk touchdown was absolutely awful, and as I point I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, he he's just one of the it's one of the worst. I mean, I, I don't know much about cornerback play and how to play on defense, but. Well, that Christian Kirk touchdown, my God. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, like I said, on the betting podcast on Saturday, weren't quite sure why the Cardinals were only one-point favourites in this one. Um, just from start to finish, Cardinals in control. Never felt confident at one, any point that the Cowboys were going to put a hell of a lot of points on the board. Uh, but I know the Cad- the Cardinals would have done. Um, so when it was 21 down, 21 to, to zip uh, early on, it's just no way back. Um, from, from a Cardinal standpoint, obviously they were under a bit of pressure. Um, obviously some poor performances against Detroit uh, and Carolina. So this was obviously a get right game for them. Um, I probably don't think the, Car- the Cardinals will take too much away from this game. And like I say, a couple of long touchdowns you can't rely on going forward in the, in the season. They have a huge game next week against the uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so, but yeah, was, obviously Kyler Murray um, looked good with his legs. He's got a little zip on him, isn't he? When he, when he runs with the ball. Um, the, the, to be fair, I, I was watching, I know we, I've mentioned on previous podcasts that the Dallas defense have not been very disciplined with their eyes. They were a bit better to start off with the game. Um, but then as it went on, kind of the, the ill discipline came back into, kind of crept back in. But here's a, here's a Kyler Murray fun fact for you. Did you know he became the first NFL player to win uh, at, at AT&T Stadium as a, as a high school and a college and a professional? So he's the first person to do that. So there's a, a bonus one there before we... Uh, before we get to the stats segment, but yeah, 38 to 10, the final score. Um, if you are a betting person, uh, get on the Eagles to win the division because they are currently around six to four and that's probably buying money at this point. Just just one tiny little point here, Tim. Um, you know, what no, no I think... Cowboys drive. No, what, what I think really kind of just, just was a real real kind of nail in the coffin was that Kenyan Drake touchdown at the end mm-hmm. when the, the Cowboys defence had officially given up. You know, 99 teams out of 100 know that they're just going to run the clock out. Um, Kenyan Drake kind of went into that into that defensive line, went, went left, saw a gap right, and then 60 mm-hmm. yards and about five seconds later, it's another mm-hmm. six points. There was a there was Sorry. a good um, there was a good block on Jalen Smith on that play. If you if you if you anyone watches the old twenty two, I was actually surprised to see Leighton Van Der Esch on the field actually yesterday as well. But <laughs> obviously the the holes are a bit bigger than manholes uh, in the middle of the street on in on that Dallas defense. Fun times. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, you know, we, there's a lot of discontent now, sort of circling. You know, players apparently calling out the coaching staff, saying he's disorganised, ill-disciplined. I know we joked an awful lot throughout the course of last season on this podcast about the fact that Jason Garren was either reason that the Cowboys were being held back. Uh, it, it obviously seems a, a much more deep-rooted problem uh, that they they need to address. And the only thing that he's really a sell, uh, you know a bit of a a saving grace at the moment is that poor record of all of the NFC East teams, you know, ridiculous really that we're having this conversation and Dallas are still in first place in the NFC East. I mean, to be honest, do we actually think fellas, and I know you both support NFC East teams. Do you actually think outside of divisional games, the NFC East will beat anybody at the moment? Um, No, to be quite honest. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, I, mean, I know the rules are not going to change, and it's probably one of those things that you just one of those freak type of years. But 
Surely they, they should. The one, the to, one thing I will say. Got to bring a rule into banner six and ten division winners remember, in the playoffs. Remember the season where the NFC West was absolutely toilet, and New York, New Orleans went into Seattle with beast mode game, and New Orleans Saints I think were double digit point favourites in that game, and obviously then Seattle went went and won and did whatever they did, but yeah. Obviously, it's a long way to go in the season, and I'm not for one moment saying that Dallas or Philadelphia are going to get any better. Uh, and the season's the season's done from a from a Dallas point of view, fan point of view, even if we are top. But um, yeah, obviously January's a long time away. Um, yeah. Funny, fun things can happen. They certainly can. I mean, to be fair, the Eagles will touch on their game in a little bit. I mean, I've never seen an injury list quite like it. And like you say, if they are six to four to win the division, then maybe that's the uh, the way to go. Uh, Tim Joe there, Lawrence, that it was almost like copy and paste every week on the podcast. One thing that we can never copy and paste is Aaron Rodgers having really bad days at the office and throwing pick sixes. It's not something at all that we're accustomed to. It was obviously the big ding-dong match that everyone was looking forward to on Sunday evening, uh, 9.25 slot. Obviously, the Packers undefeated coming in to take on Brady and the Bucks. And although it started off pretty well for the Packers, it soon turned ugly and they never recovered from there, mate. Yeah, I, d- I don't think a lot of people saw this one coming. This is a Packers team, as you say, went in undefeated. They'd scored 80 points on the road in in their two away games and they came absolutely crashing down to earth against a, a Bucks defence that's kind of arguably up where with the Steelers defence in terms of the the best kind of overall unit without without the big names. It's It's... You know, they're playing out of their skins. Aaron Rodgers held to 160 yards passing. Um, but what was kind of the, the grimmest statistic from, from Rodgers' um, weekend was he completed 45.7% of his passes, which is just unheard of for the um, for Rodgers. It was his lowest total since late November last year when he managed 104 yards only in a in a humiliating beatdown to the 49ers, who he'd then go and lose to in the NFC Championship. So it's there's there's a bit of kind of uh, there's a bit of momentum circulating circulating that kind of a bit like Lamar Jackson that Aaron Rodgers against those the big teams and the big names he doesn't perform particularly brilliantly. It's all very well kind of beating up on the Lions, but when it comes to these crunch games, I think he's kind of around about 50-50 against, you know, top-notch teams, top-notch quarterbacks. So, for Rodgers, only the fourth time he's ever thrown two interceptions in one quarter and only the fourth pick six of his career. So, if you think how long he's been playing, it's only his fourth pick six. That's that's pretty good going considering the amount of passes that he has thrown. Packers had 47 second half yards in total and Rodgers was held to 32 yards passing in the second half, which is just shocking. It's kind of, it's almost Washington-like doing that. Um, and it, it got that bad at one point, well, towards the end, that they the Packers brought in Tim Boyle, the, the backup quarterback, and he registered a, a rather remarkable statistic. He got sacked on his only play, um, eleven yard sack and fumble, caused by the man who's only got one proper hand, Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, so that was kind of you know some of the headlines there for the quarterbacks. As you say, Packers started off pretty well, ten nil up, two ten play drives going going really really well, and then Tampa were really cold going on early, punted twice, 
But then, in an absolute heartbeat, the game changed. Jamel Dean picked off a Rodgers pass, ran it back for a touchdown. Three plays later, Rodgers throws his second pick and that gets taken back to the two-yard line. And then from then on, it was, you know, it was it was all she wrote. The the Buccaneers were 28 points up, 28 to um, 10 up at halftime. And Ronald Jones, another great game for him. His third consecutive 100-yard ground game. And he's doing that very, very quietly, considering that, that big kind of move and they brought in Leonard Fournette, who's been injured. Um, and both of both of Brady's touchdowns in the second quarter had some degree of significance. First one was Tyler Johnson's first ever. And the second one was Rob Gronkowski's first as a Buccaneer and the 80th of his career in a regular season. Second half, in fact, was was kind of not a lot to write about. Just Aaron Rodgers kind of running for his life, um, getting harangued and, and harassed by that Buccaneers defence. And, and Ronald Jones kind of gets a, a mop-up touchdown at the end, his second on the ground. Bucks D end with five sacks, eight tackles for loss, 13 hits on the Packers quarterbacks, two interceptions, a forced fumble and a defensive touchdown. Packers are going to look to bounce back um, in the next two games. They've got the Texans and the Vikings, who, yes, they've got an offence, but they have no defence to talk about whatsoever couple of interesting notes. Aaron Jones was held to 15 yards on 10 carries. Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon both managed double that total, but not much more. And for the Buccaneers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin combined six catches for 58 yards and zero touchdowns. So it was a real kind of, it was a real defensive effort here. So, you know, let, let's pay credit to the Buccaneers defence. Part part of that though was I think they didn't uh, the left tackle Bakhtiari go out during that game I think was had a big part to do with it as well and I think it, I tell you what the turning point in the game was was that uh, that Kringleberry uh, celebration from Rogers on the the TD that came back I think after that point it all went wrong didn't it <laughs> badly wrong yeah. yeah certainly did if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna celebrate make sure the play is gonna stand that's yeah. the first <laughs> first and foremost thing to remember isn't it but yeah bad day at the office for the Packers I don't think anyone's gonna hit the panic button too much like you say Aaron Rodgers has proved throughout his career that uh, that's not something that you're going to expect on a regular basis. I do kind of chuckle to myself though when they all come out post game and say, "Oh, we needed a good kick up the backside." It's like, no, you didn't. You just got absolutely walloped. It's as simple and as straightforward as that. So, yeah, bad day at the office. Um, other guy that we wanted to talk about in this little segment was Josh Allen. So the other game that was played on Monday night. Um, no quarterback probably started the season, fellas. Hotter, did they? Let's let's be honest. The first four games, we were all giving him glowing praise, and rightfully so. His play deserved the praise that he was getting. And we mentioned about how Stefan Diggs had almost transformed this offense. Um, he really, really struggled on on Monday night. Yes, the conditions didn't help. Yes, it was wind and rain. You know, particularly the rain uh, coming down in New York. Um, but he just seemed to be high, wide, and not very handsome on a huge number of his throws. And let's be honest, that has been the thing that has plagued Josh Allen since he entered the league. That's always been the knock on him. Nobody questions his arm strength. Even throughout the game yesterday, in those difficult conditions, he certainly wasn't struggling to unleash the deep ball, uh, but he wasn't doing it with any sort of accuracy. 
he finished the day 14 of 27 passing for just 122 yards. A couple of touchdowns in this one, a nice one to Stefan Diggs with a bit of toe drag swag in the end zone. Great play from him. Um, but Josh Allen's final pass was an interception and it almost felt as though that interception had been coming the whole game. Like I say, just completely off target. The more worrying thing I think here for this Bills team is that, you know, 12 months ago, Josh Allen could have survived many a game like that because the defence would have bailed him out. But this defence just seems a shell of what it was this time 12 months ago. Now, there was a couple of healthy scratches on the defensive line ahead of this one with McDermott almost sending a message that they needed to play better up front, get more of a pass rush. Um, Josh Norman has been suspect on the back end, which we kind of probably expected. You know, let's be honest, his his uh, you know days at the top of the game are well behind him, and you know this sort of redemption mission doesn't appear as though it's going to end fruitfully. Um, but it, it, go on, mate. I think he's still gravitating back to earth from being uh, put into <laughs> orbit last week from Derek Henry. Yeah, he may well <laughs> he may well have been. But um, I, I mean, more of a concern in this one was the fact that actually. If you look at the time of possession step, which isn't something that we talk about all that often, but in a game like this, when the conditions played such an impact, the Kansas City Chiefs held the ball for nearly twice as long. They held it for 39 minutes compared to just 21 for the Buffalo Bills. And it was the most rushing attempts ever um, by a Chiefs team in the Andy Reid era. 46 rushing attempts. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, maybe he wanted to send a bit of a message to Le'Veon Bell and say, you know, you're not cutting into my playing time, pal. 26 attempts for 161 yards for him. Still not getting involved much in the passing game, to be honest, which I think we all probably expected, but certainly got it done on the ground. You know, and, and it seemed as a team that the, the Chiefs were getting it done on the ground. Mahomes, with his usual amount of scrambles, you know, he had 10 carries. Daryl Williams had six, um, you know, and they spread the ball around. Rushing-wise for the Bills, it's just non-existent, isn't it? Let's mm. be honest, Josh Allen scrambled a few more times in this one. He went eight rushes for 42 yards. But Devin Singletree held to just 3.2 yards per carry. Zach Moss, supposedly the big bruising back, held to just two yards a carry on his five attempts. And unfortunately, if the defence isn't going to step up, they are going to be more and more reliant on Josh Allen and his arm to win these type of games. And unfortunately, to expect him to play at the level that he probably was in the first four weeks, he's he's probably been a little bit uh, unfair to the guy. You know, he, he, there's no doubt he's made strides. I'm sure he will bounce back. He's obviously got all of the the, uh, the tools that you would want in somebody playing the position in terms of the, you know, the, the prototypical size and the stature of the guy. Um, but he still obviously does have some issues to work on there in terms of his accuracy. As for the Chiefs, um, obviously a nice bounce back win for them after defeat to the Raiders the previous week. They'll be, uh, you know, pleased to to get back into the the win column. Um, Travis Kelsey was the guy catching the two Patrick Mahomes touchdowns in this one. He's always the target, seemingly in the red zone, isn't he? Um, and two touchdowns on the day for Kelsey. Fairly efficient from Mahomes. Nothing spectacular. Twenty one of twenty six for two hundred twenty five yards. Uh, and those couple of touchdowns, so you know, a steady, steady game. Um, but like I say, really dominated by the fact that the the ground game, you know, the Bills just could not get off the field in this yeah. one. 
Um, the Chiefs obviously improved to five and one. They're obviously going to be um, right up there for, for first round by and obviously still very much Super Bowl favourites or one of the favourites. Uh, the Bills probably falling in line with a number of teams that are probably in that chasing pack. I think it's it's developing now, fellas, six weeks in and we'll talk about some teams still with a 100% record shortly. Um, but I think certainly we've got a few teams that are really standing out from the rest. And then there's quite a big group that uh, are all jostling for position in behind. Then let's there's talk- the NFC East. <laughs> and then there's the NFC East indeed. Let's um, let's talk about some of those teams then that remain undefeated or have a 100% record, not necessarily for the right reasons. And um, you know, let's start with... Probably, um, you know, let, let's get the let's get the bad one out of the way. Let, let's get the the the, uh, the rubbish out of the way. So, Tim, let's come to you. Let's talk New York Jets. We seemingly talk about them every week, and we say every week it can't get no worse, and then it gets worse. Yeah. Shuts out, of course, here by the Miami Dolphins. Um, they're now the only winless team left in the NFL, as the Giants obviously won this week. And to be fair to the Giants, it was always likely because they're playing in the NFC East that they would at least win some game within that division. The Falcons, we've said all along, have got too much talent. But in terms of the Jets, is it too early to talk 0-16? Uh, I, th- I think with the way this Jets team is playing, I don't, I don't think so, especially when Joe Flacco is a quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a ticket. I've got a bet on uh, the Jets. I think it was after week one or week two. I think it must have been after week two. They're eight to one to be uh, to have the worst record. So I'm sitting pretty on that at the moment, obviously with the Giants winning. Um, do you know what? The re- well, I'll get to Miami in a minute. But there was a really interesting passage of, of uh, they cut to the sideline. Uh, on, on the game and they showed Adam Gay sitting on the bench and he he had his little red pen out and he had his like you know the laminate things that they all have and I just I don't understand I think the Jets offense were on the field was, the Jets were doing something and he was just sitting on the sideline with his little pen it's almost as if he was just doodling or he was just you know when you're on the phone or on hold for, for you know to die, uh, you know, providers or, or whatever and you've got a scrap bit of paper and you've got loads of writing on it already and you know when you just rewrite over that writing, it, it was almost as if he was doing that. He just he he, he bit his uh, the pen it off, and then just had his little red pen, and he just just do, looked like he was doodling. Absolutely strange. I say I don't know if you'll be able to see it if you go back on a game pass and watch the three hours. And yeah, dare, dare I say you do you want to do that on a Jets on a, on a Jets game? Um, that probably probably not. Um, but yeah, Jets are absolutely hapless, and it would not surprise me to go Norton sixteen. But like I say, just with. Um, yeah, Dallas, uh, the NFC East being so bad, and anything can happen on, on a, any given Sunday. So I, I would, I would uh, expect the O to go at some point. Uh, I should have really got their schedule in front of me, but the obviously the, uh, the AFC East is not as bad as it used to be. Obviously, with Miami giving them a schlack in Buffalo and New England, obviously not the the New England of old. But yes, yeah, they're not as if they're they're going to get a. Uh, an easy divisional win to, to get rid of that zero, but I think they probably will at some point. They're probably playing the Bengals, to be fair. Um, but talking on the other side, obviously, this is uh, which which is now uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's of probably last game for the Dolphins to uh, announce as the start when they come back out of their bye. Um, it's it was I put in my takeaways, which is on on the website that it was it was great to see. Right, it just shows you how good of a guy and how cool a guy Ryan Fitzpatrick is to to pump up the crowd. Stand on the sidelines, getting everyone pumped to say, "Look, two is in." And some of the quotes he come out with afterwards, obviously because it's you know the the hot the the words on everyone's lips as when he was being interviewed, it, he with some really good words and really you know it just shows you what kind of a role model and um, what a good what a good guy he is to to have in the locker room. Um, so yeah, he obviously he was he he kind of 
bowled out the red carpet for tour when he when he came on as well. So um yeah, obviously winning twenty is it a bit harsh on Fitzpatrick really when you've won what twenty four to nothing and then you but you put up forty points the week before. Um so, which makes me believe that this has kind of been their Miami Dolphins um plan all along. And I know quite a lot of people are coming out saying, oh, but the Miami Dolphins are in the playoff race. This is a really weird time. It just, just think about this, though, for one second, for those people. is The Miami Dolphins aren't expected to do anything this year. This is, a, this is a free run year. This is a really good time for Tua to come in, play half the season, so that when they have all the picks that they have next year in the first round, they've got a year of, you know, of all these players that they've signed in free agency, decent amount of cap space. Next year could be, you know, the reason they're bringing him in this early is so that next year that they don't have any teething problems and, you know, two has not got just the week 17 to get game to go off like he normally does. They obviously believe that he's good enough to go already. Uh, there was a really good throw, actually, when he was in, in his own end zone down to the left sideline, uh, which which was, yeah, was a really good, um, really good play. And obviously he's a bit weird in the sense that he's a left-handed, left-handed quarterback. Um, yeah. Yeah, fair play to Fitz for for rolling out the red carpet for for Tua, and obviously the yeah, the the writers and the media and the journalists have, have got their content for the next two weeks because obviously the, the the Dolphins are on a buy now. So, um, yeah, it was, it was it was good to see Fitz Fitz. Uh, he's he's one of the cool guys in the in the league. Yeah, I mean, how how often do you see a situation where a, a rookie quarterback's put in because? A, a team's reached breaking point too early and there, there's a there's a problem, there's a situation. To to go into a team that's that's kind of won its last two games, not not expected to have uh, a five hundred record after six weeks, it's a more relaxed kind of vibe to to coming in and starting. So I totally agree with you, Tim. It's it's the right time to do this. Maybe a little bit early. I might have kind of waited another couple of weeks, but you know, definitely kind of by the by the midpoint of the season, it's it was time to to unleash Tua. Um, and it's you know, I think it's, I think it's great that you know he's, he made a little cameo on Sunday and he gets that start. So very excited to see what he's going to do with that Dolphins team. I don't, I don't think they appreciate the Rams being first up on the docket though. With Aaron Donald. I think they've got a tough second game as well. I can't remember who their second team is, though. but uh, yeah, facing Aaron Donald first up is uh, quite the the baptism of fire, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I, I mean, to be fair, when this was announced earlier, I, I sort of had mixed reactions to it initially because I did think, you know, that, that like you said, the, the division is very much up for grabs. You know, they're sitting currently in second place. We've just talked about the fact that the Bills have stuttered a little bit over the last couple of weeks um, Fitz has been playing quite well you know when we know what Fitz is like there the, the generally isn't much of a, a middle ground it's either he plays quite well or he plays quite poorly I suppose you could argue you know maybe the game ahead of the inevitable curve we've seen it long enough in Fitz's career but I think the other thing to bear in mind with these fellas is if there wasn't the injury concerns and I know they're obviously so you have to bear them in mind but if there wasn't the injury concerns he would have been starting week one that was always the intention. When this whole tank for two was started at the back end of the previous season, and obviously before he picked up that injury, everyone expected that this was going to be a guy that was going to come in and transform a franchise. And yes, there's plenty to be said for somebody to sit there and, and sort of learn and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, there was no question that Joe Burrow was going to start in Cincinnati. And this, for me, is just actually the same type of thing. And like you say, I think the, the way that Fitz reacted to it probably does suggest that it was the plan all along, um, you know, he, 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 you know, he took it grace, gracefully, as you say, Tim. You know, actually, sort of almost playing cheerleader 
on the sidelines. Um, you know, and, and if Tua actually comes in and gives this team a spark, and let's face it, you know, the Rams aren't going to have any tape on him, obviously. So, yes, it's a difficult game. But obviously now the Rams don't really know what it is the game planning for. It actually could actually be a really shrewd move that we look back at and say, well, do you know what? Actually, that was the difference. And that was what pushed Miami, you know, potentially into a, a sort of, you know, a, a playoff spot. I mean, like I said, the division's still very much there to play for. But obviously with seven wild cards up for grabs, um, you know, I think it may well... Not seven wild cards, three wild cards down to the, down to seven teams. Because if there were seven wild cards, even the Jets might make the playoffs. But um, you know where I'm coming from. I think it actually could turn out to be a pretty shrewd move. We started off though talking about um, the Jets. Um, I, I struggle to see how it can get any worse. I think are we just resigned to the fact that now it is going to be Adam Gase up until the end of the season. I saw a press conference with um, you know. Um, Oh, I forget his name. What's the defensive coordinator's name? Greg. What's Greg his Williams. name? Williams, that's it. I shouldn't remember him. He used to coach the Browns. Um, <laughs> saw his um, press conference pre-game and Greg Williams, typical Greg Williams type of press conference, basically threw Adam Gase under the bus without actually saying it. Um, there's obviously a lot going on there. Um, it's a huge rebuild that's needed. I think we're all convinced that it's not going to be Gase that ultimately gets the job of rebuilding it, but they've got to be careful that actually they don't completely lose a fan base and, and lose any sort of shreds of building blocks that they may well actually have in that building because, let's face it, it is pretty ugly, isn't it, guys, week to week to week and to be they shut out by anything. Miami. Just they, haven't, they, haven't got, they haven't got anything. <laughs> Pilling about the book a little bit, I actually had a bit, had a bit of investment in this game because I had the Miami Dolphins defence in, uh, in fantasy football in quite a few places and then, do you know what some of the Joe Flacco highlights was was amazing to see because uh, obviously you know, opposing a shutout you get quite a decent amount of points for that it was amazing to see that the amount of times Joe Flacco and the Jets got into field goal range and then Flacco taking like an 18 yard sack or going for it forward that was absolutely amazing they, they are a tra- they make I mean I know Dallas have made drive the card on offense and make, makes offense the card but they they take the biscuit. They make like, American football look like rocket science. Um, so maybe they need to be coached by Matt Patricia. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, they make football look, just look difficult, don't they? Yeah, they definitely, definitely do. I think was was one of them a 28-yard sack. I know you said 18. Yeah. I think stupid, I think yeah. you actually saw one as a 28-yard sack the other yeah. oh, Anyway, think, yeah, let, yeah. Let, let's move on. Let's move on to something a bit more fun and a bit more entertaining. Let's talk about a couple of the teams that are headed for a Week 7 matchup and we'll head into it both undefeated. Um, and it's the game that was postponed from a couple of weeks ago because of the COVID outbreak within Tennessee. And I'm talking about Tennessee against Pittsburgh, who both had wins on the weekend. Let's start, Lawrence, with Tennessee, powered by that dynamic duo. And I'm going to say that dynamic duo, because obviously Derrick Henry will get a lot of the headlines and a lot of the attention from fantasy players and the casual fan that tunes in to watch the plays of the week or see him bursting for another 90-plus yard touchdown. But there has not been a better quarterback in the NFL since Ryan Tannehill signed for the Tennessee Titans. You can put up any statistic you want, and he pretty much leads, or he's very much up there with any leader in the category. And, you know, we all thought that maybe it was a bit of a small sample size at the back end of last season, but they're off to a flying start. And when they needed a touchdown, mate, in this one, and I'm sure you're going to talk us through the game, he delivered yet again. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got a combination here of the the best rated quarterback over the 
second half of last season and the, the first half of this season. We've got the current rushing champion who is arguably going to become the 2020 rushing champion after his performance um, on Sunday. And, and a real kind of eclectic bunch of pass catchers, receivers, tight ends, that there's there's no real standout there whatsoever. So teams can't really game plan and go, all right, I'm going to neutralise this guy. I'm going to neutralise that guy. There's there's nobody to really neutralise because they're, they're, he's, Tannehill's just kind of finding people. You look at Anthony Ferks at the tight end went over 100 yards. Anthony who? Anthony Ferks. You know, this is... These are kind of totally just, just they're not household names, but they're they're performing. And it's, you know, the fact that they've got this this kind of formula and the fact that they've they've stuck two kind of tape covered fingers up at the rest of the world after all those kind of the COVID issues, it's you know, it's testament to what head coach Mike Vrabel's kind of been been preaching. And, and you, you know, we know Mike Vrabel knows what success looks like in a locker room following all of his Super Bowl rings that he earned um, playing for the Patriots. So, you know, we've got to look at this. In the five different games that they've won, they, the and pass catcher in terms of yardage has been a different one every game. So, Burks are this week. Um, on the ground, obviously, it's all about King Henry. And, you know, it's a shame he lost the backup rookie, Darrington Evans, who got injured a week ago. He was he was looking good in his kind of cameo appearances. And you've got Jeremy McNichols now, who's, again, doing a, doing a good job backing up. The, the big loss that the Titans had is um, Taylor Luan, the, the offensive tackle, who's now um, ACL, lost for the season. And I saw the tweet that he put out saying, don't feel sorry for me. I'm going to become the, the team's biggest fan, which I'm, I'm, I've got no doubt that he will be. You've got to look at kind of how big a loss this is. Three-time pro bowler, Titans first round pick in 2014. And a couple of seasons ago, he signed a five-year, $80 million contract extension. And that made him the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history at that time. So they've got to overcome that. And that is a big, big deal. So don't underestimate the loss of Taylor Luan. Um, one thing that made me absolutely chuckle, and I think was my favourite kind of non playing moment from the entire weekend was the reaction of Deshaun Watson when the um, overtime coin toss was made and he saw that the Titans kind of won the coin toss and you could just see him resigned to defeat. The air just went straight out of him um, that second and he kind of like did a big kind of touch and kind of lifted his head and was like, oh God. I do, I um, do the same when the wife asks me to do the washing, we flip a coin. <laughs> The only thing, the only thing it kind of, you know, and, and I love, I love an overtime um, coin toss reaction. And it takes me back to the um, 2003 playoff game when, when Matt Hasselback of the Seahawks, he, um, they won the toss and he announced kind of to the microphone that the, the referee had broadcasting to the planet saying, um, we're going to take the ball and we're going to score. And, um, it kind of came true because he did he did end up throwing a touchdown, but the problem was it was a pick six 
by the Packers' Al Harris, who ran it back 50 yards for the for the kind of, you know, the end game-ending touchdown in this playoff game. So, you know, always look out for the overtime coin toss reactions because they're, they're quite entertaining. So we've got to look at the this week six game for the Titans. It was their highest offensive output ever. Helps that you, you have overtime and it helps that you got Derek Henry in the backfield. But they managed 601 yards of offense, over 200 of it on the ground from, I think, the, the toughest SOB runner in the NFL since Jim Brown. And that's saying something. But, you know, the, the, the guy is an absolute monster. We've got, to, we've got to cast our minds back a little bit in the game before we before the Brian Tannehill heroics at the end. The result could have gone out of reach. Um, Romeo Cornell makes a call. I don't know what it was about this week in two-point conversion attempts. They, they seem to be kind of um, going wrong left, right and centre throughout the whole league. There it was. They had the, they had the seven, well, it was going to be, yeah, seven-point lead. He wanted to extend it to a nine-point lead instead of kicking the extra point to make it an eight-point lead to put the pressure on the returning drive to be a touchdown and a two-pointer. No, 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 we're going to go for it. Failed miserably. Seven points down, you know, and that's that's kind of, that was enough motivation for the Titans to go, right, we're going to take the ball up the field and we're going to score. And what a, what a fantastic drive by Ryan Tannehill in the absolute clutch to go all the way and tie the game up. And and we've got to look at, um, you know, that window that was given to, to the Titans um, that Ryan Tannehill, I think, went through like a coked-up play school presenter in terms of kind of taking that opportunity. So we've got a defence here that is full of kind of lunch pal types. Again, no big names, just like the receivers. You know, Joan Brown, the linebacker, Kevin Byard, Kenny Vaccaro, the safeties. And then we've got Jadavion Clowney, who got signed, and, and he's been very, very quiet so far. Obviously, he's a disruptive force. He hasn't got a sack yet in the three games that he's played, but he's still a big presence. And sometimes you need those big presences, and they don't show up on the stat sheet, but they are part of that team. And I think he's, he's proving that. And as we said, this Week 7 clash against the Steelers, I think is going to be an absolute prize fight game. And it's going to show who the biggest, baddest team is. But I, I personally, I can see King Henry polishing his scepter and Mr. Sheening his crown, ready for an absolute blockbuster of a game. Yeah, looking forward to it. It should be an absolute belter. I think just in terms of, of the game, just a couple of things from me on that. I personally didn't have a problem with the Romeo Cornell it. decision. I actually I thought, it. I actually thought watching it, it was the right decision in as yep. much as... You gave your offense a play from the two-yard line to win the game. Ultimately, yep. not getting it cost you nothing other than Tennessee going and tying the game, which potentially mm. is what they would have done anyway. Yes, there's no guarantee they'd have scored the two-point conversion. In the same way, there was no guarantee they would have kicked the extra point. So, it, you know, you still would have had to have stopped a touchdown either way. I had absolutely no problem, to be fair, with with the Romeo Cornell decision there. The one thing that I have got a bit of a problem with, and it, it's it's nothing to really get my bean a bonnet over, but I've got my bean in my bonnet, fellas. I'm sick and tired of all this love that Mike Vrabel's getting for taking intentional penalties. Oh, bringing I 12... Was, I bringing, thought it was genius. Bringing 12 men on the field. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Do you know why he's done it, though? Yeah, I know why he did it, but let's be honest, right? 
how on earth do you know that how that's going to play out? The next play, if the Texans would have run the ball instead of throwing an incomplete pass, he'd have lost another 40 seconds. No, no, but the thing was, though, that that penalty got them into a goal-to-go situation. So the time that they could then elapse off the clock could only be a finite amount. Whereas if they got it on second and one, if they, if they got one or two yards, they still had a window where they had 10 yards to get another first down and then sort away the clock. That was that was the genius behind it. I mean, I don't think it's come from Vrabel. That must have come from, from someone up, up top. But yeah, I thought it was, that was the difference between winning and losing that game, to be, to be quite honest. Because obviously letting the... The, uh, the Texans then go and score that that uh, when they did that gave them the, 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 the drive that Tunnel got them down the field. Respectfully, mate, bollocks, absolute <laughs> bollocks. I never swear on this podcast, but I'm sorry, absolute pony. I am just not having that at all. He didn't put him in a goal to go situation, mate. He took the did ball. Not. He took the ball from the 24 yard line to the 19 yard line. So, you know, I would have half understood it if your logic had been true there, but it wasn't. Anyway, it's not worth getting there, beating the body, is it? It still took a fabulous Ryan Tannehill drive, a fabulous catch from AJ Brown in the corner of the end zone. Did he get his foot in? Doesn't matter. He was given, um, you know, and ultimately, like you say, King Henry took over and absolutely they are ready for the Steelers. And trust me, fellas, after watching that Steelers defence close and personal on Sunday, that is going to be one hell of a test. The Steelers defence, they may well have been criticised and I haven't been a huge believer in as much as they hadn't played an awful lot in terms of the competition they'd been up against. You know, the teams that they played had been winless at the time that the Steelers played them. But if there was any doubts about that defence, fellas, they've certainly gone from my mind. 52% of all of Baker Mayfield's dropbacks, he had pressure and an absolutely ridiculous amount of pressure. It felt like that somebody was always, always in the backfield. TJ Watts essentially spent more time next to Baker Mayfield than Kareem Hunt did. Um, he was just an absolute monster. Uh, Bud Dupree on the other side, just just an absolute pair of, of game wreckers. The big boys up front um, in terms of Alu Alu and um, Tuit, again, and, and Cam Haywood, obviously. Um, just, just an absolutely phenomenal front seven of a unit. And to be fair, on the back end, um, you know, they did what they needed to do. A game that um, was very, very quickly over in hindsight. You know, it was over the minute the Baker Mayfield threw his first pass of the day. An horrendous pass. Um, didn't see Minka Fitzpatrick that had just basically walked down from his safety position um, and walked right in front of the route and returned it for a pick six. That put the Steelers up by 10. And, and quite frankly, fellas, that was all that she wrote. Whenever the Browns play the Steelers, it's obviously a rivalry game. Um it always, always feels like it's men versus boys after it's been finished. And you said there, Lawrence, about the fact that these are going to be two, you know, real ugly, nasty teams going head to head on Sunday. I am really looking forward to it because I think, you know, that was, you know, the Browns got beaten up on Sunday. There's no doubt about it. It did look like boys versus men. Um, and the Browns were pushed around and the Steelers had their way with them. Um, I don't think that's going to happen against the Titans come, uh, come Sunday. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. Um, the Browns' run game going in had obviously been really good. They'd run the ball on everybody. They didn't run it on the Steelers. Kareem Hunt was limited to just 40 yards rushing. Um, the one thing I would say, and I've said this pretty consistently, and they didn't need to be in anything other than second gear on Sunday, but offensively, the Steelers were actually sort of restricted themselves. They obviously were working on 
um, a number of short fields with those turnovers that were provided to them by those Baker Mayfield interceptions. Uh, but Big Ben, from a passing perspective, um, he only actually registered 162 yards, four catches apiece for Chase Claypool and James Washington. Juju Smith-Schuster just limited to six yards on two catches. Um, but more of um, more of James Conner in this one in terms of the run game. Uh, he went over 100 yards. Um, as the Steelers relied um, on a sort of ball um, retention offence. And ultimately, like I say, with the short fields that they were given, that they never had to get out of second gear, fellas. They really didn't at all. And, um, you know, I think, as I said earlier, you know, I've obviously been really encouraged by what I've seen out of the Browns for the last month, but I think they are in a group of teams that are, you know, very much behind those three or four powerhouses in the AFC. And I think we've got to include in, as well as the Chiefs, we've got to include the Titans, we've got to include the Steelers, and potentially your new uh, allegiances, of course, there, Lawrence, in terms of the Ravens, although they haven't been pulling up any trees with um, with their actual performances outside of the fact they've been getting Ws the last couple of weeks. It hasn't necessarily been pretty, but uh, Steelers certainly a class above on Sunday, um, and they will head into that big match with Tennessee uh, undefeated. So someone's O, fellas, has got to go. Be interesting matchup indeed. Right, let's get round the rest of the NFL scoreboard for you then. And the Detroit Lions, 34, Jacksonville Jaguars, 16. Um, Bit of a breakout one here for DeAndre Swift, wasn't it? So you can pretty much guarantee them that Patricia won't give him any carries next week. That tends to be what happens when it comes to Detroit Lions running backs. But uh, 116 yards for DeAndre Swift. I think that's, um, believe it or not, how long has Matt Stafford now played for the Detroit, Detroit Lions, fellas? 10 years, 11 years, something like that. He's now 7-1 and one when he has a 100-yard rusher. That tells you what you need to know. He's had eight games with a 100-yard rusher in his 11-year career with the Detroit Lions. But it's no, uh, no secret formula, chaps. If you can run the ball well, you're going to perform well. So, yeah, 7-1 and one with a 100-yard rusher as Detroit uh, get the W. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals went all Atlanta Falcons on us, didn't they? They threw away a 21-point lead in this one, jumped out to a big early start. Uh, but the Indianapolis Colts come all the way back and end up winning this one 31 points to 27. Uh, Philip Rivers throwing for 371 yards after really struggling in the previous couple of outings. Um, you know, he was able to spread the ball around. Uh, good performance from T. Higgins on the other side of it, the uh, the young receiver for Cincinnati. He went for a game high, 125 yards. Carolina Panthers win streak. He's over, Chaps. They lose 16-23 to the Chicago Bears. And the Bears improved to 5-1. and one. Uh, Still not being really talked about an awful lot. I still don't think anybody's convinced, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. But from a defensive point of view, another really good performance. Um, you know, so the Bears certainly moving or continuing to move in the right direction. Washington football team 19, New York Giants 20. So obviously the first win of the season for the Giants. Um, Lawrence said to come to you to talk about it. You, you opened up the podcast saying that that was it. That was the final nail in the coffin for you. That's the end of your Washington fandom. Why was it that bad, my friend? The, the game plan was absolutely full of dink and dunk football. They didn't unleash Kyle Allen to do anything anything deep. I don't think they made a, a deep throw. It was just dire. The Giants were kind of kept hanging around the entire game. The 
Washington team had managed 13 points. They were hopefully about to drive to try and kick the winning field goal at the end. And then what happens? Kyle Allen gets levelled. And it's just, it's just kind of, you know, just beautiful that the guy who picks up the ball and runs the touchdown that turns out to be the winning touchdown was none other than Mr. Irrelevant from the 2020 draft. The 255th pick selected linebacker Tay Crowder, who nobody had even heard of, um, apart from the people that took him around Disney World when he had his little, you know, one-day outing to meet Mickey Mouse, that, that you know, that was it that kind of won the game. And then, yes, you can say, oh, it was brave. And, oh, we could have, we could have you know, with Ron Rivera's call to go, oh, yes, we, we were brave. And, you know, I'll put it in the team's hand to get the two-pointer and win the game. Just look at the odds. You know, if the odds was 90% that you're going to hit a two-pointer, then fine, go for it. But it's not a 90% odds. It's a lot lower than that. So just kick the extra point. You're in a division where we have five total wins between the teams after six weeks, which is insanity. And it was just that point of just watching just an absolutely dire performance they weren't using Terry McLaurin properly they haven't used Antonio Gibson properly they've just kind of dinked and dunked to JD McKissick and that's just my abiding memory of just these little dunking you know he's not James White he's JD McKissick just you know stop trying to feed in the ball and think you're going to get miracles out of him because you're not and that just that whole kind of thing that two-pointer just kind of summed it up Um, and when they didn't convert and they, they just weren't sensible. Just kick the extra point, take it into overtime and then try and win it. You know, oh, we wanted to go home. We wanted to get the win. Honestly, I just, at that point, I've just gave up. And the fact that there's there's no fans there, the uniform looks like some sort of college team now. And and it's, it, we're you know, the teams are laughing stock. It hasn't even got a proper name. I mean, it's just... I just, I just absolutely give up. I'm not going to run any further. I just absolutely give up on this team. Fair enough, my friend. So Fair what you're enough. saying, Lawrence, is you, you're giving up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's saying, my friend. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about your new team then, mate. Ravens and uh, uh, Ravens at the Eagles, sorry. Uh, Ravens 30, Eagles 28. Uh, I said there, the, the Ravens, yeah, they're 5-1. and one. I mean, again... People will call me biased. I'm trying to call it as I see. I'm, I'm still not convinced that the Ravens are playing anywhere near the level that they were playing at last year. Um, Lamar Jackson looked dangerous in this one, as he usually does when he took off and was running 108 yards off just nine attempts for him. But the rest of the team, J.K. Dobbins, 28, rush, uh, 28 yards on nine rushes. Gus Edwards, 26 yards on 14 rushes. Mark Ingram, 20 yards on five rushes. And Lamar passing, just 16 of 27 for 196 yards. Certainly not any sort of offensive juggernaut. And considering all of the injuries that the Eagles have, they nearly, nearly pulled off a bit of a comeback in this one. Um, you know, just failed with the two-point conversion to actually tie the game up 
at the end. Um, but yeah, uh, not not great from a Ravens perspective, but ultimately the results are going on the board and that's all they will particularly care about. Uh, the Falcons 40, Vikings 23, first win of the season for the Falcons. Uh, amazing, isn't it? How often it happens, just a, a change of head coach, even if it's only on a temporary basis and all of a sudden there's a victory that comes. A guy um, who potentially will find his seat getting quite warm will be Mike Zimmer. Um, another absolutely horrendous, uh, certainly defensive display from the Vikings, which is what you would associate Mike Zimmer with, but they have gone missing completely. Uh, the Falcons scoring 10 points in every quarter. I don't want to spoil stats life, fellas. There might be a good one about that. But, yeah, 40 points for the Falcons. Uh, we've talked about the next couple of games. So let's shoot to Sunday Night Football, which was the Rams 16, the 49ers 24. I don't think many people saw this one coming after the previous week, did we? Let's be honest, but a bit of a bounce-back game here for the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, um, you know, doing... Doing what he does, um, yeah, we'll quieten the critics for a couple of weeks, but I'm sure then there'll be a stinker of a performance around the corner. But he threw for three touchdowns in this one um, as the 49ers get a big win in the division. Um, however, Raheem Mostert, who was the leading rusher for them on the day, um, potentially lost again to injury, which is going to be a bit of a concern because uh, they certainly look a lot better when he is in the lineup and the final game, I believe, to get you caught up on is the Denver Broncos 18, New England Patriots 12. Massive win for the Denver Broncos on the road in Foxborough. All Brandon McManus field goals. They will not care one iota. Uh, Tim, Patriots just looking a bit rusty, did you think, in this one? Yeah, possibly. Obviously, they've had the disru- disruption. This is a game that obviously we should have been played last week. Um so straight, this this was a strange game. This one, uh, like I say, McManus uh, ties the Broncos uh, franchise record for six uh, field goals. Uh, all all six of those field goals were the first six possessions for the Broncos, uh, which is very strange as well. Um, Patriots drives. Uh, here's a list for you that um, you don't really associate with Patriots, to be quite honest. But interception, punt, field goal, end of half, nil down, punt, fumble, interception, punt, turnover, field goal, turnover, and downs. That's not <laughs> that's not a Patriots drive chart, is it? Jesus Christ, that's a Dallas one. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like a couple of things from this one. Obviously, it's quite rare. Belichick's obviously known for pummeling uh, young quarterbacks. No, you know, um, Drew Lock was only the fourth quarterback in the last seven seasons uh, who is a QB over under the tw- uh, age of twenty-five or under uh, to go into Foxborough and win. Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes were the other three, so he's uh, keeping good company there. Um, although Drew Lock did try and throw it away two awful interceptions in uh, late in the game on that one. I mean, what is he doing? I'm not quite sure. And I'm, I'm a big. I was a big lock lover, um, and I'm not talking about canal boats uh, coming into the season. So, but he made some good plays, but obviously some some really bad ones there. You can't, you can't sort of wear a clock if you're throwing picks like that. Um, Patriots losing the game uh, for the first time when not allowing a touchdown uh, touchdown in the Bill Belichick era, uh, 39 and 0 in previous games from there. But yeah, it just wasn't it wasn't the Patriots of old, um, and lots of of. of it's, a, it's just an uncharacteristic game. And I, I don't know if the disruptions killed them a little bit, but essentially because they were playing, supposed to be playing the Broncos last week, you've essentially got two weeks to prepare for, for this team, which is no different. Again, again essentially it's just a bye week. So it's not really, um, there's not really any reason that I can put to, to, to the loss and the performance from, from the Patriots and yeah, looking a bit underwhelming. Yeah, I actually was a little bit surprised with Bill Belichick's comments in this one. He almost blamed it on the fact that they had been disrupted, um, mm. you know, which, 
you would kind of give it a little bit of airtime apart from the fact we just talked about how good the Titans look and no team's been more disturbed and interrupted by mm. by COVID than what obviously has happened in Tennessee. Um, to be fair, when you think back, I mean, Cam Newton obviously signing and, and it, it obviously provided a spark and, you know, it's still great to see Cam, you know, you know, back doing his thing and he obviously makes this team relevant. Um, but if you think, you know, before the season, we were potentially going with Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham at quarterback. Let's just read through the guys that were actually in the skill positions and either catching or receiving the ball on on the weekend. And we know about the running backs in terms of White and Burkhead, and they've been there for a while, and they, you know, they do what they do, don't they? James White, uh, eight receptions, the leading receiver by a long way, both in terms of receptions and yardage. He went for 65 yards on that. But here's the rest of the guys, fellas, that were involved in the game plan. Damian Harris, Demiri Bird, Ryan Izzo, Isaiah Zubar. These are guys that no one has ever heard of, have they? Julian Edelman is the name that you will know. He was held to eight yards on two receptions. And Keel Harry, the receiver that they took early on in the draft in 2019, he laid a goose egg off two targets, none for none. Um, you know, really, I mean, this is a team that is devoid of talent, certainly on that offensive side of the ball, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, and say Cam Newton can only paper over some 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 cracks, and say unless you can use him in the in the running game, um, you know, there's only so many routes that Edelman can run. But yeah, if Edelman's just the focal point in your offense, you're in, you're in trouble anyway. They haven't got any Titans to to bail them out like Rob Gronkowski did with, with Tom Brady. But yeah, I mean, the the, the New England Patriots offense has never been a, a down the field stretch. The you know, Bruce Arians type offense has always been a kind of a dink and dunk and pass to the running back and yards after the catch. Um, again, I guess it's just a case of them going maybe going a bit stale for the Patriots and, and they're not changing it up enough. Yeah. And, so, and don't don't sure. forget that right before the season started, the opt-outs as well on defense. We can't we can't forget that as a as a kind of factor to this. So it's not just the offense which is underwhelming. The defense are, are at no way near kind of their their full capacity either. Yeah, we say that though, but they still limited to Denver Broncos just to out the end zone. They had six field goals. I mean, what well, you can't do much else than that. But but if you if you look by the time that that game ended, you could arguably say, um, let's let's put Drew Lock on the bench for week seven. You know, Drew Lock's performance was not good. It really, really wasn't. So, you know, it's it's not as if they faced uh, you know uh, a top tier quarterback. They faced a very, very average quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good to see him back on the field. They're obviously one of the teams that were full of off-season optimism and being absolutely rattled by injuries during the start of the campaign. So good to see Drew Lock back. And like you say, hopefully just a case of shaking off a bit of the rust um, and a big win for the Broncos to potentially build upon. Right, fellas, that gets us through all the games. Uh, feels like I've whizzed through those there, but uh, let's move on, fellas, to to sort of pick our winners and losers of the week. So, Tim, let's start with you, mate. Winner and loser of the week for yourself. Okay, winner for the week for me was a team that didn't actually play. Seattle Seahawks, uh, obviously, are un, un, unbeaten. Um, obviously, when you see the Green Bay Packers losing and you've got your feet up, obviously, you've, you've got to be a winner because you're in the driving seat now for the number one seed. Like I said, it's a crucial game coming up again next week against Arizona Cardinals. Win that and uh, they're, they're kind of well on their way. So, um, it's a wide open NFC. Uh, I mentioned in an art, I think it was my Super Bowl update article. Uh, it just seems to be a different air of 
uh, of, of Seattle this year. Obviously, they've perennially been a team that's been in the playoffs, and you know, at some point they'll just get beaten. But Russell Wilson, obviously, playing at MVP level, getting a few MVP um, kind of nods already this uh, this early in the season. Um, just, I know the defense is not is not the greatest, but there's just a slightly different air about the Seattle Seahawks. So you just kind of say, uh, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to see them in the Super Bowl. So uh, winner for me with, with the Seattle Seahawks, who improved their position in the NFC seedings without even uh, throwing a ball in anger. Uh, loser for me was Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Um, putrid performance, awful. But yeah, both sides of the ball, Captain Kirk, because these interceptions were absolutely awful. Um, to talking of uh, New England's drive chart, this this is uh, this isn't to Minnesota's first half interception, punt, punt, turnover and downs, interception, interception, end of half, absolutely, absolutely awful. Um, so yeah, I think any any team or any quarterback that uh, commandeers that that drive chart is uh, has got to be a loser. Yeah, absolutely, mate, absolutely. Lawrence, let's move to you, mate. Your winners and losers. I think Tim and I have gone simpatico again. We've we we've, we've kind of corroborated over the airwaves here because my my winner is this it's a bit of a double winner here it's Raheem Morris and Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons to get their first win of the season this this is a team that you know have just ridden incredible bad luck they they have a a real kind of sparky offense and they've they've managed to kind of get through without Julio Jones and then Julio Jones does come back gets that touchdown early Gets a gets a second score, and you know suddenly there's things are starting to look up. And with with the amount of kind of dire teams out there, you just never know about the Falcons getting on some sort of kind of little run here. I mean, don't forget this is a Falcons team that were at one point thirty three seven up, and you're kind of going, it's not enough. It's not enough. <laughs> They need to be. They need to be fifty-three-seven up before you can start calming down, calming your nerves. Um, but they managed to hold on with, you know, with seven minutes left and a and a, you know, twenty-six point lead. They they managed to hold on. So congratulations to the Atlanta Falcons. One one little individual player of note, not not Falcons, but I just wanted to give a little shout out to the Arizona Cardinals safety Buddha Baker, who. Against the Cowboys, okay, not the biggest of credit, but he managed to get a sack, a forced fumble, and his first career interception. So big congratulations to Buddha Baker there. And, and a brilliant name as well. Brilliant name. Yeah, good player. Very good player. And you lose it for the week, mate? I, I'm, we, we've, we've talked about them already, but it is the entire NFC least. So, you know, it's been literally another fecal shower as, as teams have just... <laughs> Mixed on the weather. <laughs> you know, you got one team conceding 30 points, one team conceding 38, and the only team that does win does it courtesy of Mr. Irrelevant running back a fumble. This is just this is just shocking, shocking football. And as we said at the top of the podcast, somebody could end up in the playoffs at six and ten. You've almost got to go back to the NFL and go, look, can we can we ban this please from ever happening and just give a team that has got a winning record and just just not allow a team to win a division? It'll be unprecedented, but teams that go six and ten do not deserve to be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it, and and you know, you've got to look at this, you know, Washington and Dallas. Both of them have already had three quarterbacks behind centre 
and we're only at week six. Yeah, it's certainly not looking like, like there's much uh, joy on the horizon. Uh, like you say, get on the Eagles at 64. If they can get those injuries sorted, then potentially they could absolutely run away with that division. Uh, my winner of the week, similar theme to you, Tim. I've actually picked somebody that didn't play this week. And my winner of the week is Josh Lambeau, the Jags kicker. He must have the nice. Jaguars over an absolute barrel now. He could uh, he could probably get as much money as Patrick Mahomes has got just to kick field goals for the Jaguars because nobody else can seemingly do it. So, yeah, Josh Lambeau. He's my uh, winner of the week. I think he potentially is back this week, possibly. Um, but certainly he's going to be back Could in be. the non-too-distant yeah. future and uh, he will short up that position for sure as the Jags are going through those at a rate of knots. Uh, in terms of my loser, fellas, I had four names written down so I thought I'll just go different to what you guys had said. I've got Adam Gase, I've got Baker Mayfield, I've got Ezekiel Elliott and I've got Aaron Rodgers. But then we started this podcast and my loser of the week is Lawrence Voss. How dare you abandon your team? That is absolutely appalling. I've supported the worst franchise in NFL history statistically for the last decade. Never give up on your team. You never know what good is around the corner. And let's have a bit of a crossover. If my football team win on Friday night, they'll go top of the Premier League for the first time in about 25 years. So never, ever, ever give up on your teams. That's all I will say. You're smiling at me, Lawrence. All, all I will say is there is no danger of your team losing its nickname. <laughs> well, that's very true, but you know, that's, that's for different reasons. And let's be honest, we were all very, very um, supportive of that decision in the off season. So I've, I've, I've let that sink in and that that's what's happened. I was, I was encouraging at the start and then I've sat there for, and they've all been these early kickoffs, all these 6 PM UK kickoffs for these, these Washington games and I've just sat there just feeling more and more gloomy and more and more depressed. And I've just, you know, I've had, I've had my phone and I've been watching the, the Ravens games. And I just thought I'm more interested in watching them. I can't, I just can't do it. Now, whether or not it's a, it's a temporary blip and, you know, I'm just having an affair. We'll wait and see. But at the moment, my, my new sweetheart is the Ravens. And it's, it hasn't been a decision that I've taken lightly either. It's one that you know I've been, I've been flirting with them for quite a while. No so, excuse. you know. No excuse. We'll, we shall see. We shall we will, see. We will talk some sense into him off air. Never, ever <laughs> abandon your teams because uh, that, that's what makes you appreciate the good times. You how, many go how many times on a Monday do you think I've woken up and I've wanted to get rid of you? <laughs> chuck all my Cowboys crap behind me and just throw it out, throw it out of the window? Every single Monday, <laughs> I am with you 100% of the way. I remember celebrating a block field goal on Christmas Eve to give the Browns the first win in like three years or something stupid. So... It'll all be worth it in the end, mate, once they do get it turned around at some point in the future. Right, fellas, let's get on to some stats. We've been rattling for long enough. We've had a few thrown out, as we usually do as part of the discussions. But here is where points make prizes. Now, Tim, I did say to you that I wanted some Browns love this week. Based on the performance, I don't think you will find any that give the Browns any love this week. There'll all be historically bad stats that you may well throw at me. So I will judge this right down the middle, mate. I will not take any bias into account. And I will let you open up the uh, the batting. So off you go, mate. Throw us your first. Uh, no, no Browns, no Browns. I did, I did try and have a look. There's some interesting ones. There wasn't a. There was one um, Steelers one saying that they've not allowed um, a 90 yard r- a rushing to any running back since uh, 2000 and something. But I can't, I can't, it wasn't a great stat anyway. And um, my my first one is actually the the kickers one that you're talking about, about Josh Lambeau. So obviously 
the Jaguars have gone through five kickers in in five weeks or, or whatever it is. Um, just to give you a bit of context on the other end of the spectrum, the Green Bay Packers have only had five kickers attempt a field goal since 1989. <laughs> that sounds about right, doesn't it? I mean, Mason Crosby's kicked field goals for the Packers for as long as I can remember. I don't <laughs> even think I can name the guy before Mason Crosby. Lawrence probably can. That's put him Chris, on the spot. Chris Jackie is there one of go. them. There you go. I knew Lawrence had come up in the in the clutch there. <laughs> go on then, Lawrence. Let's take your first one on the board. Well, seeing as seeing as I've I've you know I've gone with a new team, I've got three Ravens. Yeah, that's life this week. Just just to absolutely rub it in. The last time the Baltimore Ravens started a season five and one. They not only reached the Super Bowl, they won it. And the time before that, that they went five and one, they reached the Super Bowl and won that as well. And the fact that was made more remarkable out of the two Super Bowl wins is that the second one that they went and won, they went and won with Captain Goosegg himself, Mr. Joe Flacco. Yeah, they did indeed. I remember that one well. That was the Power Cup game, wasn't it, if I remember mm-hmm. rightly? So, yep. Yeah. Against the 49ers. Hardball ball, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like I said, when we were talking about the game, the Ravens can only improve, and that's the thing. You know, it's not a bad thing to win while you're not particularly playing your best stuff, and they've certainly got some things to to work out, but they're obviously going to be up there uh, come the end of the season, aren't they? We'll get some more Ravens goodness from you shortly then. Tim, let's go back to you. Uh, Okay, cool. Uh, The Tennessee Titans become the first team to score a touchdown in every red red zone possession with a minimum of six red zone drives, have zero turnovers, allowed no sacks since the Patriots defeated the Bills 56-10 in week 11 of 2007 in their undefeated season. There you go. That uh, that pretty much, like you say, sums up what we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? Just how efficient that that offence has become. Uh, whether it be through the air or on the ground, they can certainly beat you in any way, shape or form. I still find it staggering as well, fellas. They, and we probably should have mentioned this earlier. They still don't get necessarily the love that they probably deserve as a team. Let's be honest. I still think there's people that are sitting there thinking, oh, it's only the Titans. They'll end up at 9-7. and seven. There is no way this team is going 9-7 and seven this year. Mark my words on it. They're going to be a lot, lot better than that. Lawrence, let's come to you for your second one. Talking about kind of efficiency... The Ravens have now scored a... They've managed to score in every single quarter they have played this season. So in all 24 quarters that they've played, they have scored points. And they're the first team to do this since the 2000 Greatest Show on Turf St. Louis Rams did at the start of their season. Good one, mate. Good one. Like it. Like it. Surprising. I'll take your word for it. You have been known to, you know, use a dodgy sauce every now and again, but I'll take you at uh, at face value. Got at the garlic mayo again, isn't he? <laughs> Go on then, Tim. Finish us off from your side. Ah, uh, Cowboys fans. Uh, Dak Dak missed a week of uh, his first week of action, and is still the NFL's leading passer. There you go. Oh, we had to get that one. Yeah, <laughs> had to get that. Get one your wallet out, Jerry. Get your wallet out. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing though. All joking aside. If the Cowboys carry on as they are, do you think it's actually going to do Dak more good being on the yep. bench? Yep. We, we talked last week, didn't we, about the fact that he might not get the contract that he deserves. Let's say he would have played lights out. Let's say he would have thrown for, what was he on pace? Well, he was on pace for about 10,000 yards, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs> but he was certainly on pace for, for sort of 5,000 plus. You know, let's be honest, it would have probably evened itself out. But he was certainly on on a bit of a tear, wasn't he? But he, if he'd have done that and the Cowboys had have finished five and 
11 and 6 and 10. Do you actually think that not being there now probably does earn him more money? I think so, yeah. I think so, because it, well, it's just night and day, the the offence. Like he, Dak has overcome the issues. That, I know it's a bit unfair to, to judge Dalton on one on one game, but considering what Dak, Dak has done and Dak's achieved, just trying to even drag the, the Cowboys out of the holes and Dalton just had no zero, less than 0% chance doing it on... on um, on Monday night, it just it just shows you the difference of how good or how much better. And he obviously he's a, he's a franchise quarterback at the end of the day, and you've got to pay him accordingly. Yeah, no, absolutely, and obviously uh, good that the surgery went well, and he uh, he seems mm. in good spirits. Let's hope he gets back sooner rather than later. Uh, Lawrence, go on then, finish us off, mate, with your final one. The Ravens are within one game of tying Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos who between 2012 and 2014 set the NFL record for the most consecutive games, scoring at least 20 points. So you can go and look this one up. And I did double-check it. The mark, <laughs> is, the mark is 30 straight games. More specifically, in fact, the last time the Ravens scored under 20, the quarterback was our, our kind of friend for this week, Joe Flacco when they scored 16 against the Steelers. So if we look at every Lamar Jackson start that he has had in the NFL, and he's had 29 starts now, 29 consecutive starts, he is 25 and four in those 29 starts. And he has managed to put 20 plus points on on the board in every single one of those games. So, you know... Yes, he might not be on form right at this moment, but putting 20 points or more over 29 games coming in from a rookie, I think that is a pretty impressive statistic. No, it certainly is. You certainly can't argue with the record. And like I say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Ravens will work it out. I think for me, and I've said this for, for a while now, and I know we joke about it, mate, I think there's almost been a bit of a fascination to try and convert Lamar into more of a pocket passer this year. I think the Ravens need to embrace the fact that he is this dual threat. And when he does bring that rushing element into the game, you know, every big play that it seemed that they got on Sunday was him in the run game. And, you know, if it was me, I would just be embracing that all day long as the offensive coordinator. He's never going to be the world's greatest passer. He can absolutely do a more than adequate job. You know, I'm not sitting here saying that he's terrible throwing the football. He's improved his accuracy. He's he's improved his deep ball. And he's shown that in certain games and he's flashed it at certain points. But he's he's the dangerous guy that he is because he carries that running ability. And if I was the Ravens, I wouldn't be trying to get rid of that anytime soon. Uh, Two really good ones, fellas. I've got to be honest, I'm struggling to split you here because I like the one about the Ravens scoring in every uh, quarter so far this year. And to be fair to you, Lawrence, I have just checked it and that is absolutely correct. So as much as uh, we joked about your dodgy sources from time to time, that is absolutely spot on. But I also like the fact that the Titans have have gone on a bit of a tear there and done something that hasn't been done since 2003. So what we'll do, fellas, we'll do it the the old-fashioned way. We'll put it on a poll on Twitter and we'll let uh, let the listeners decide for the Week. So I'm, I'm calling it a draw, um, and we'll see uh, we'll see what everybody else thinks. But uh, obviously, plenty of stats every single week in the NFL. We like to bring you some, uh, but obviously, share with us the ones that you found most impressive. Um, should have said, fellas, when we did the whiz through through the games, talking of impressive, David Two still leading the Pickham competition. So well done to him. No one's still yet in danger of winning a weekly T-shirt. There, a bit of a tough week this week. Um, 
most people sort of are really only averaging around the sort of eight mark, eight or nine. I think there was a couple that did manage a few more. Uh, but obviously get involved with the Pickham competition. If you're not registered yet, doesn't matter. You can still win week to week. So get involved and join us along the way. Um, obviously plenty coming up on full 10 yards. But the fact that this will not be reaching your ears until Wednesday means we'll almost be turning the page towards week seven and all the preview stuff will be coming out, all your fancy advice, etc., etc. So obviously you know what to do keep those eyes and ears peeled to everything full 10 yards that's it then boys for yet another week nice to uh, speak on a tuesday we can actually reflect on a full week of action we'll probably get back together though on monday next week in the usual slot now all the uh, the house moves and single monday night football is back on the slate and all the rest of it so it's been an absolute pleasure fellas so any closing remarks from you both lawrence yeah, just in terms of the the one thing that I'm really looking forward to, and we've we've touched upon it, and this is this Titan Steelers game. Even if it ends up something like you know nine six or six three, I'm still going to say that I would have thoroughly enjoyed it. AFC rivals, both undefeated, both points to prove. Haven't faced each other since um, 2017. Steelers have won the last two, and they've won five out of the last seven. They did meet in the playoffs in 2002 and the Titans won it in overtime. So there's, there's room for some excitement there as well. And, and that kind of low scoring intensity, just wanted to give a little, little bit of retro love. I haven't done, done a lot today. Just, just reminds me of one of my favorite all time games, which goes back all the way back to the 1990 NFC championship between the Giants and the 49ers that ended 15-13 to the Giants in, in one of the greatest kind of defensive struggle games ever. And a Matt Barr field goal decided it. And what made it that more momentous at the time is the 49ers are currently were the, were the two-time champions and were looking to become the first team to ever three-peat. So defensive struggles can be absolutely outstanding games. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that game. Yeah, I think it will be a bit of a bruiser. Um I'm assuming it's the Sky Sports game. I haven't had it confirmed, so obviously recording on a on a Tuesday night. Um, but I'm pretty sure, looking at the rest of the slide, that that will definitely be the one in the early window. Tim, any closing marks from you, my friend? Uh, just talking of struggles, um, everyone, everyone looking forward to Thursday night football. It should be a belter, mate. Eagles, Jones. <laughs> should be Jesus. an absolute belter. Prayer, Jesus Christ. Um, no, looking forward, like I've mentioned it a couple of times, looking forward to Arizona, Seattle next week. Uh, in, in that game, uh, next couple of days, I'll be swatting up for the quiz on the old YouTube. So I'll see you obviously on there. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, just before we do go, uh, as we are recording Tuesday, I can confirm it is Steelers Titans on Sky Sports in the early window, 49ers Patriots in the late window. And then obviously your primetime game's already slated. So obviously Giants Eagles Thursday. Bucks Raiders is your Sunday night football and Bears Rams is your Monday night football. There's obviously the full 10 yards derby as well, fellas. Washington versus Dallas. I'm sure that will be an absolute yeah, it's not a derby thr- anymore, now, is it? absolute thriller. Oh yeah, it's not a derby. Yeah, <laughs> it, very good point. Very good point. <laughs> I'm sure he'll give you plenty of ribbon if the Cowboys take a beating next week, mate. So we'll wait and see. That's it then, boys. Thanks ever so much for your company. As always, thanks everyone for listening. And we will catch you all throughout the course of the week on our various channels. And we will be back in your ears next week. For now, though, in the great words of Kevin Cable, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.